Continuing on, part four of the series we've started called Happily Even After. Now, real quickly, Todd started us off a couple of weeks ago dealing with this idea about the expectations we have when we get married. When we start that marriage process, when we're standing in front of the aisle, in fact, I love the little video he clipped, he put on there. Do you guys remember that? Um, two people standing in front of the altar, and as they're sitting there looking lovingly into each other's eyes, what's going through their minds are two totally different things. And the expectations we have, we then went into this idea that marriage, in marriage we have something to fight for. And the idea of what we're fighting for is the idea of becoming one. One thought process, one direction, one goal. And even though we're two distinct persons, we're aiming in a, a, a similar direction, heading in the same path. Last week, we began to then push us farther, a little bit farther, saying we began to talk about this idea that in a marriage, we often hear it said, two's company, three's a crowd. And how many times have we seen that third person come in and actually destroy marriages? But we began to say when we allow God to be the third person which draws us together, that instead of coming in and separating us, he comes in and he helps be the glue that joins us together. Well, today I want to push this a little bit farther. And in fact, I'm going to start in the, in the book of Proverbs. And Solomon wrote, and I'm going to take this proverb from the Good News Translation simply because I just love the way it translates it in such a simple little way that we can all get. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, Solomon says this, you will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. What you say can preserve life or destroy it. So you must accept the consequences of your words. From a very young age, our identity has been shaped by the things that we have heard. The things that we've had our parents tell us, the things that we've had our teachers tell us, the things that we've had our friends tell us have shaped who we have become. If you've had people your whole life telling you things such as you're stupid, you don't measure up, you're ugly, you're worthless, you're hopeless, we begin to live out that sort of ideas within our life. On the other hand, we also know this. If we've had parents, coaches, teachers, friends tell us things such as, wow, that was smart. How did you figure that out? You're so brilliant. Man, you're one of the hardest working people I know. Those sort of things become ingrained into who we are and it begins to shape us and it begins to help us become what we need to be. Not only from a very young age has, our, has the words others told us, shaped our identity, but we also learned at a very young age that the words we use have power over others. Um, I don't know what age it is when you kind of for the first time learn to say something and you could see how it kind of acted like an arrow to someone's heart and it felt good. I shouldn't say that, but isn't that the truth? When someone has said something to you and you knew that in a moment you had that one-liner that you could come back with that would like get to the heart of things real quickly. Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about? Let me just kind of refresh your memory from when you were a kid. When someone would say something and you'd go, la, 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 I can't hear you. 
Okay, I know, that's a little mature. But maybe you used ones more like this. Maybe yours were more, how do I say, more sophisticated. Here's a quarter. Go call someone who cares. Speak to the hand. I know we, we had so many one-liners growing up that, I mean, there was everything from whatever. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Wait a minute. I just thought I heard you say something. And of course, when I was real young, the one I really loved, and I know it's probably really wrong and politically incorrect today, but I'd always like to put on that little accent and say, you talking to me? I know. Totally ridiculous. But that's what we do. We were at a stage of our lives where we learned how our words thrown back at someone in such a way had a way to connect into someone else's heart. It brought him down. It brought him into a space of saying, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, whoever came up with that sold us on the biggest lie that we have ever been told because here's the reality. Our bones heal, but our souls hold on to the scars of the words people tell us for the rest of our lives. These simple one-liners, they may have helped us navigate the schoolyard bullies. These simple one-liners may have helped us as youth to kind of, how do you say, navigate our positions and and, and try to help us get to where we want to go. But here's what we do know. When those one-liners become the reality or the method of our communication as we become adults, we become emotionally stunted. Our communication method never gets beyond child, childish words. If you've ever had a boss who has spoken to you in a manner like that, very quickly you would say, I don't want to work here anymore. Even worse is if you are in a marriage where one or the other of, you, of the... Uh, of, of each other, if, if you start talking to each other that way, it does not lead to better communication. It leads to arguments, fighting. And if it doesn't get stopped and resolved, it usually leads towards a divorce. Learning to talk and learning to express ourselves to each other is probably the greatest key to making marriages work. Now, okay, when we talk about communication is so important in marriage, we all know this, don't we? Wouldn't every one of us say, yes, in our marriage, we, we just, we need to communicate. It, it's so important. Here's the reality. We all know this in a headway, don't we? But when we allow it to get to our hearts, it, it seems like it just fails to connect. You know how I know this? 
because the statistics tell us that nearly 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and one of the number one reasons they give for why marriage, their marriage fails is lack of not money, not a lack of stuff, not a lack of, lack of communication. One of the greatest reasons people give for why their marriages ended was this idea that there was a lack of communication. And yet, each and every one of us know it from the start. I need to learn to communicate. Most times, the lack of communication is not because there's a lack of words, is it? Most times when we talk about we just can't communicate, it's not because there's a lack of words. In fact, most times when we get to that place of marriages falling apart, there is a lot of words going around. In fact, by the time a marriage is at its last strings and it's kind of like it's about to fall off, the words are flying. In fact, they're not just being spoken at each other. By this time, they're usually getting shouted at each other. And yet something seems to be standing in the way of all of the words being bounced back and forth. Something stands in the way of us being able to communicate. It's almost like there's this wall, there's this barrier that stands between us and our spouse that every time we go to talk, I can hear the words, but I just don't get what is being said. It's almost like there's a foreign language being spoken, isn't it? All right, as we go on this morning, let's just start with this premise. There is a different language being spoken. Let's just start here. Let's just be honest. Between you and your spouse, there is a different language being spoken. You know how I know? Because I am trying to continually learn that other language. And though I know it is English, it doesn't always make sense. For example, I have learned really quickly that when, when men and women say stuff, they mean two totally different things. The words may be the same, but the meaning is different. So just bear with me. When, when a woman says, I have nothing to wear, what does that mean? Now, this is one of the few ones I have picked up on that I have learned to keep my mouth shut on because I want to walk in the closet and say, what do you mean you have nothing to wear? The closet's full. When a woman says, I have nothing to wear, what does it mean? Okay, come on. I know you guys know this. I need a new dress. But why do I need a new dress? I mean, I've got 30 of them already. When a woman says, I have nothing to wear, it means I cannot go into my closet today and find anything that makes me feel good today. Now, when a guy says, I have nothing to wear, what does that mean? I haven't done my laundry this week. There is nothing clean. Or it might mean this. Now, with guys, it could be one of two things. It's either I have not done my laundry and it's dirty. Or number two, I just split out the last pair of britches that I had hanging in the closet. You see, when we begin to talk, there's this communication barrier, and it's not because we're not saying the same words half the time, it's because we're coming from two different perspectives. There's a barrier. There's also a barrier, not just because of a difference between how we think, 
But there's a barrier because of how we've grown up, our past. In fact, I don't know whether I have these up here or not. Um, let's go to number two. In fact, let, I, let me bounce back. I went to number three already. But our personalities. Our personalities also cause this barrier to bounce in the way of how we communicate, doesn't it? So if you have in a marriage a sanguine personality, and it's amazing how many marriages sort of attract a sanguine and a melancholic. You may have noticed this, where someone's really bubbly and the other one's really quiet and introspective. And so when the sanguine is hanging around their friends and talking and joking around and they're, they're telling, oh man, how much it costs being married and, and oh, it just, you know, it's not fair. I'm getting stuck on my little ball and chain and, and they're having a good time hamming it up. And they love being married. It's not that they don't like. In fact, because they're hammered up so much, it just shows how much they love it because that's the way they communicate. And what does a spouse hear who's introspective? They're just tearing down everything that we've been working on and building. Are they that miserable? You see, our personalities stop and get in the way of the way we communicate. And I don't know how many times that even in, within my own marriage, I'll be laughing and joking about something and Holly will say, I didn't know you felt that way. Well, what do you mean I didn't know I felt that way? What way do you think I felt? Well, I didn't realize you were that unhappy. I'm not. I'm excited. I love it. But that's not what you were saying. Because our personalities stop and cause us to communicate differently. There gets to be a barrier, a wall. Then number three, the thing that begins to get in the way of us communicating sometimes that causes us to communicate. And this, by the way, this is by not the only or the only things that get in the way. But the other thing that we're going to deal with is this idea that sometimes our past, our past causes us to communicate differently. We have different ideas. The way that you were raised, the way your parents raised you will cause you to communicate and see things differently. The experiences that you have been through, the, the hard times, the good times, those awesome holidays that you experienced, those low moments when there wasn't enough food on the table, all those experiences cause you now to communicate in a different manner. And so now we have two different people coming into a relationship, trying to get across all these barriers, and they're saying, I'm talking and I'm talking and I'm talking and you don't hear me. And they're right. Sometimes with all of the talking, it just sort of misses us. And we cannot see, we cannot hear what is being said. Healthy communication does not just happen. We know that. Instead, healthy communication is like a muscle. It has to be built and it has to be used regularly or it goes back and kind of goes weak again. Now, we're going to talk real quickly and we're, we're going to deal with today how to begin to communicate healthily in a marriage. Now, this is not a, a be-all and an end-all in communication. This is just a way that I think we can start with something to say, you can take this home and from today you can begin to help communication skills. There is one thing that I believe that can help us 
unlock those communication skills. And in fact, James gives them to us in James chapter 1, verse 19. He said this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. The ability to hear is the key. Peter Drucker, who is a very well-known business guru guy, um, he said this. The most important thing in communication is hearing what isn't being said. My dad used to tell it to me like this, and I have this problem. I do a lot of talking, and I struggle on the other part, the listening part. And so my dad would always tell me this, James, there's a reason God gave you two ears and one mouth. He obviously intended for you to listen twice as much as he wanted you to talk. That is still a lesson that I'm continually trying to learn in my own life. When it comes to hearing, many of us have picked up some really bad habits over the years. So before we begin to talk about what we can do to improve it, let's just kind of knock some of these bad habits real quickly. The first one is, is the eye roll. One thing I have learned really quickly, one cannot listen and roll the eyes at the same time. There is a muscle between the eyes and the ears that's, you know, when you roll the eyes, it clicks the ears shut. Number two, to let me finish off your sentence for you. Even if you know what is going to be said, allow yourself to be surprised by the syllables they use. Number three, the zone out. This is almost like the eye roll, but it's not. This is a little bit different. This is the one where you're still looking at them but your brain is going way off somewhere else. In fact, this is the one I continually get caught out on time after time where Holly will go, you didn't hear what I just said, did you? Yeah, yes, I did. Let me, and I start trying to, real quickly, what did you just say? The zone out. Though the blank stare may be useful at work, it rarely improves one's love life. Let me just be honest with you. The one, though, that can stop and hurt communication probably faster than anything else is the well-placed, the non-meant, I'm sorry. Most of us have learned that this insincere sorry can speed up a conversation by at least a speed of two. And if we add in several real quickly, we can be about our own business in no time, Right? You see, when it comes to communication, we've all picked up some bad habits over the years. So what is the answer? It's easy to stop and pick apart and to kind of chuckle at and to laugh at some of these things that we are all guilty of. But what is the answer? James said, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. 
What is an answer that can help us improve our communication skills? One of the best techniques that I am trying to learn, and I, I put that in a ongoing method because I am constantly failing on it, but I keep trying to come back to it, is something that Gary Smalley taught called drive-through talking. Now, what we're going to deal with is not necessarily exactly the way he put it, and I encourage you to kind of pick this up a little bit more. Go home and Google it, Gary Smalley, drive-through talking, and there's a whole, quite a few articles on it. Um, He's a well-known author. He's a well-known marriage counselor. Um, But he began to deal with this idea, putting out this idea called drive-through talking. Have you ever noticed when you go through a drive-through that almost every drive-through you go to, there's almost a technique to help make sure that the person on the other end of that little microphone or that little earpiece actually gets your order right? Did you realize that that is actually a method that has been studied and restudied and studied and restudied for one main reason is that when you go through a drive-thru, that that restaurant wants to make sure you have a good experience and that they have heard what you have ordered. This doesn't just work in the idea, and so we'll talk about this here a little bit more in just a second, but the idea of a drive-thru talking does not just work at the drive-thru of your Wendy's or your Arby's or your favorite fast food restaurant, it is also helpful in your marriage. So the first thing that we do when we begin to talk about drive-thru talking is we deal with this idea of beginning to focus on the person who is talking. There is nothing worse than when you go through a drive-thru and you can actually hear when the person hasn't pushed their little speaker button here and you hear them talking to everyone else in the, hey, did you put any more milk in the thick shake machine? I don't want to hear that. You're not, I'm not talking. To, we want to know they're focused on me. When I hit through the drive-thru, I want to make sure that they are focused on getting my order right. When we begin to communicate with our spouse, it is important for us to focus on the person. Now, that means looking at them. Taking the phone for a few minutes and like hitting the little button on the side that says turn off the screen and slide it in your pocket. That's really hard to do, isn't it? It, but just made a noise. Hang on, it, it just buzzed in my pocket. Let me just check a moment who this is. No, trust me, they can wait the five minutes. It might mean taking the screen of your laptop and closing the lid, like push it down so you can't see what's going on. It is the idea that when you begin to focus on them, that if you are sitting with that TV there, you hit the pause button. And it really helps to look them in the eye. Not with that blank stare, but I'm going to look at you and try to focus on you. Now, if you're driving, okay, don't do the look at them in the eye thing, okay? But make sure you stop and you focus on that person. Number two, do not interrupt Listen, this means you don't add in the little, now before you get started, okay, okay, I, I, I'm guilty of this. 
I know what you're going to say. No, no, I don't really. But, but I know what you're going to say. Let me just tell you real quickly. Don't go there. Bite your tongue. Don't go on with the, okay, let's get it on. Let's get it over with. Okay, that, that is not, that's going to hurt the communication real quick. There will be a wall that goes up real, real quick. Do not interrupt. Listen. And when the time is appropriate, and if you are listening, you will know when that appropriate time is. Repeat back what they said. So are you trying to tell me this? Is this what you mean? Are you saying you don't like it when I put my clothes beside the laundry basket and not in the laundry basket? Is that what you mean? I don't know why that always gets to be an issue, but for some reason, the baskets are just not big enough. You know, they, they need to make them a little wider. What do you mean you don't like the toothpaste tube squeezed from the middle? You, what do you mean you want it pushed up? I mean, you see, when we stop and we listen, it gives us the ability to ask a question back. What did you mean by that? Was this what you are referring to? Because what is sometimes being said is sometimes not what I am hearing. Does that make sense? Because of that communication barrier between men and women, sometimes what is said is not what is actually being heard. Are you trying to tell me you're unhappy? No, no, that is not what I'm trying to say. Only after we have stopped and we repeated does it give us the right to ask a question? The question may be something like, well, how do we move on from here? What do you think the answer is? And now, I'm not saying we are called to agree with. But how do you know if you are even disagreeing with if we haven't heard? If we have dismissed? If we have zoned out? What is our solution? Do you have any ideas? When others know that they have been heard, they're more likely to listen. You see, we have no right to talk if we haven't also heard what is being said. The identity of your marriage will be formed by how, by how well you learn to communicate. When we get past the speaking about our spouse, when we get past the speaking over our spouse, when we get even over speaking to our spouse and we can begin to speak with our spouse, can we begin to communicate and begin to move in a common direction? We started with a proverb today. I want to close 
with another one of Solomon's Proverbs. And he said this. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. Father, this morning, as we talk about communication and the key to communication, Father, we know this. We all want to be heard. We've all been shaped by what we have heard. We're all influenced by the words that others speak to us. And we influence those around us by the words that we speak. Lord, I help. I pray that you will help us to think carefully, to speak wisely. Lord, may we speak from hearts that have already heard. May we speak from our hearts that are listening, that can see the hurt, that can hear the hurt, and can speak into it. Not over it, not about it. And so, Father, as we learn within this marriage, living happily even after, heads bowed and our eyes closed real quickly I do want to just now change the subject just slightly we've talked about the idea of learning to hear one of the things we haven't talked about but it is so important is have you heard God today is there a place in your life where you've allowed God to come into your life and talk is there a moment when you've heard God say hey I love you so much that I died on the cross for you I love you I want to be your savior. I, I want to help you. Will you allow me to forgive you? To lead you in a new way? To teach you a, a different way to walk and to live? If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if there's never been a moment when you stopped and said, God, I want you to take my life. I want you to do something in my life. Today could be that day. This moment could be your moment where you stop and you allow God to talk to you where you stop and listen. When he says, I love you so much, I stretched out my arms on a cross and I let them drive those nails through my hands, through my feet. I willingly laid down my life and paid the price for the penalty of your sin. I went to a tomb and I rose again three days later to say, hey, I have the power over life and death and if you just come to me, come in and I'll lead you and I'll guide you and give you a new beginning, a new start. I'll make a place for you and with you. If you've never done that today, I want to encourage you to do it just where you're sitting. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.